0: everybody, this is Don Newman, and this is Living a Life Worth Remembering. This is a show that is dedicated, the purpose of this show is to help you and me and all of us live a life that continues to live on even after our own lifetime has ended. Uh, How do we leave a legacy? How do we make such a mark and impact in our lifetime that it continues to impact future generations? I'm so excited about my guest today, uh, Bill Federer. He's a nationally known speaker, author. I mean, he, he's just done everything. Uh, he has a radio show uh, that's called The American Minute. Uh, you may have heard of it before, it's awesome. It just shares little stories about uh, those in history that have made an impact. But he also is the president of Search, and that's uh, a publishing company that is dedicated to writing about and researching the history of the uniqueness of, uh, of America and uh, really the impact that this country has had. Amazing things. Also as a television broadcast, I know there's so many things that I could say about what he's doing and we have such a limited time today, but Bill, I'm so glad you're on the show. Welcome to Living a Life Worth Remembering. Well, Don, great to be with you. Yeah, I, as I was kind of going through and thinking about uh, all the different things that you've done and that you're doing, and how they are having an impact on people. I, you know, personally can speak and say, you know, I listened to, uh, I've listened to about four or five of the broadcasts that you've done uh, since we first talked. And, you know, as I'm listening to the miracles in this country, and I was hearing you share about things, and I, I think I'm a pretty big historian, but there were stories I have never heard before, and it really kind of even showcased to me. The importance of history and telling stories and not letting things die. But why don't you share a little bit about what you do and kind of you know how did you get into this? How did you how did you find this path and 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 just share a little bit about what you're doing even currently?
1: Well, thanks, Don. Um, uh, my website's AmericanMinute.com. I send out a daily email of something that happened on each date in history and. And it grew from one minute because it was a radio spot. It still is on the bot radio networks overall, even Salem. And um, so the uh, the text of it, people said, can you send it out? And so we would email it and it started to grow longer and longer. And then it t- sort of took on a life of its own. So I have a quite an, a large email list that reads it every day. And uh, it all started back... Um, My degrees in accounting, and I worked in real estate, oil and gas for years. And then um, my wife was taking some Bible classes and came home one day, and she had volunteered us to teach junior high Sunday school. And I had never done that before, and I'm sort of winging it, and and the kids actually knew more of the Bible than I did, and so I'd have to study so that I wouldn't be made a fool of in front of these kids. (laughs) Anyway, after three years, uh, the youth minister left. They asked us to fill in. Uh, went, I went through their their Bible school there and then uh, ended up uh, helping with other churches and then teaching Bible classes. And I would find quotes about what some famous people said about the Bible, and I would print it out and pass it out to the class. And then it kept getting thicker and more quotes. And I thought, I'm going to go to the library and check out a book about what all the founding fathers and famous people said about the Bible. I couldn't find one. So I started, That wow. um, was back in like 1990. Something and I uh, would read through all the colonial charters and found some fascinating stuff. Every colony was started by Christians, but by a different denomination of Christians. So Virginia was Anglican, Massachusetts mm. was Puritan, Rhode Island was Baptist, New York was Dutch Reformed. Wow. Delaware and New Jersey were, were originally Swedish Lutheran, and then they were taken over by the Dutch and then the English. Connecticut and New Hampshire were Congregationalists. Maryland was originally founded by Catholics and Pennsylvania by Quakers, and they didn't get along, they'd tar and feather each other, but then they had to work together against the king, and I get into all that, um, and then I read through all the messages and papers of the presidents, and I worked my way up, and, and I did a book called Prayers and Presidents um, during Bush one. and um, I need to update the book, but I haven't yet, but nevertheless, I excerpted out all their references to God, deity, province, religion, morality, and, and they all mentioned God. In their inaugural addresses, had days of Thanksgiving, days of prayer. Uh, When the British burned the White House, James Madison had a day of fasting and prayer. During a threatened war with France, John Adams had a day of fasting and prayer. Um, In 1849, there's a cholera epidemic. 150,000 Americans die, And the president is Zachary Taylor, and he declares a day of fasting and prayer. First week in August of 1849, by the end of the month, the death rates drop off. Lincoln had two days of fasting and prayer during the Civil War. One, it was to be observed on April 30th, 1863. And two days later, a freak accident happened that changed the course of the war. Stonewall Jackson was this brilliant general of the South, and he was surveying the battlefield at Chancellorsville, where he's winning two to one. I mean, he's like outnumbered with 100,000 versus his like 30,000. I mean, he's he's unbeatable. Well, he's coming back at twilight and his own men say, stop who goes there. And before he can answer they let off a volley of shots and they shoot him twice in the arm, once in the hand, kill his horse, kill about a dozen guys around him. Uh, They go into the woods, they they see what they just did and they put him on a stretcher. Then they fall and his arm gets mangled. They have to amputate and he dies a day later. Uh, And so here you have uh, just about every civil war historian will say if Stonewall Jackson had been there at the, at Gettysburg two months later, the South may have won. And so there's this, you know, but you can't help, but this is just two days after Lincoln's day of fasting and prayer. Um, Woodrow Wilson had a day of fasting and prayer during world war one. And and then uh, Truman made it a day of prayer, an annual event. Reagan made the first Thursday in May. And anyway, I'm compiling all this stuff and put it into a book. The title of the book is America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. It comes off the press in 1994 and it struck a nerve. It, it ended up selling over a half million copies and had um, uh, focus on the family, picked it up. And I talked to Dr. Dobson once and it, it was, it was focused on the family's best-selling book other than Dr. Dobson's own books
0: oh wow and
1: um and so then we had congressmen and senators and professors and students everybody quoting out of it even the supreme court uh you know to god's glory 2014, in 2014 a little city of greece new york was opening their city council meetings with prayer in jesus name the aclu them, works its way up to the supreme court and justice anthony kennedy writes the decision and he says it's okay to pray in jesus name our continental congress did and here he gives the prayer. And then after the prayer, he puts the source, W. Federer, America's God and Country. So all my friends that write history books, are like, how did you get the Supreme Court to mention your book by name in the decision? Right? You can go to the Supreme Court website and see it right there. Anyway, um, so that opened the door for us to transition and to do this full time. And I have a, a TV show called Faith and History that airs on the direct TV through the TCT network. And um, done over 700 shows for them. and uh, But it's just one of those careers that uh, just sort of fell into and uh, a far, far cry from my, uh, my accounting career. Uh, but it, it came just as an idea of teaching it when I was teaching a, a Sunday school class, right? I mean, wow. God can give you ideas when you're teaching a Sunday school class. And it. it um, uh, my wife was the one who gave me Uh, the ideas for about half of my books. And of course, it was her idea. She's the one that came back and said, hey, uh, I volunteered us to teach junior high Sunday school. I could have said no, but I went ahead and uh, like a good husband, followed my wife's advice. And so um, anyway, um, but that's just a little bit about me. And um, I do think history is important. We get encouragement from the past. In, In other words, it's almost like in a continuation of the book of Acts. We got yeah. the book of Acts and we hear that these believers and how they faced crises and persecution and they rose up in faith. And and so it's sort of like picking up and tracking it through history and and seeing, uh, you know, Christians that have been through crisis. And, and so uh, one of the books I did is it's called Miracles in American History. And there's two volumes to it. One has battles. The Revolution, War of eighteen twelve, Civil War, Barbary Pirate War, where there's a crisis, they pray things turn around, rivers rise, fogs come in, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the other has the revivals in American history, The first Great Awakening, and Char, you know, second grade with Charles Finney and D.L. Moody, a shoe salesman that became an evangelist, Billy Sunday, a Chicago White Stockings baseball player that became an evangelist, and oh yeah, and um, uh, but two things I've seen when I did the 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 volume two, is that it's always the preaching of the law, before people see their need for the Lamb. Right. So the first great awakening got Jonathan uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. In other words, God's a just God. He has to judge every sin because if he doesn't judge a sin, his silence is effectively giving consent to the sin. And if God gives consent to the sin, he's no longer a just God. He denies his just nature, and he's not going to deny himself. So he's going to judge but he's got a plan of redemption that his own son would be the lamb to take the judgment for the sin.
0: Amen. Thank God. So He's completely
1: just and that he judges every sin, but he's completely love, and that he provided the lamb to take the judgment. So that's why we approach people say, I don't need Jesus. It's like, dude, don't you understand? God has to judge every sin you've ever done because if he doesn't judge it, his silence is giving consent to it. And if he gives consent to sin, he's denying his just nature. He's denying himself. And he's not going to deny himself, so judgment's coming. You can stand there and take it, or you can run into Christ. I used the illustration of I preached in Kansas one time, and after this, I'll pause. Uh, but the, the pastor said it's really flat. He says, you can see forever out here, but there's nothing to see. And sure enough, you can stand there and look as far as you can see. It's just cornfields. And, and the worst thing that can happen is a hailstorm. And so when the hailstorm comes, you can stand in the field and take it or run in the barn. It comes, but and you can hear it hitting the tin roof. Ting, 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 right? And uh, and Jesus is our barn, Mm, right? The judgment comes, but we're in Christ. And he took the judgment. He's the umbrella. He got rained upon, but we're safe and warm underneath. And so God is just in that he judges every sin, but he's love in that he provided Jesus to take the judgment for us.
0: Mm, Wow. No, I I got lost here because I felt like I was watching another broadcast, didn't even forgot that we were actually talking and sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I I, I actually um, I'm sitting there thinking as you're talking about, uh, you know, the book on miracles and talking about the great awakening, uh, that is something I have felt like God has really put on my heart to dig into. And um, so I started looking for books and and you know, and and going in and reading them. And I'm very aware of Jonathan Edwards and that famous uh, sermon that he preached. And, uh, you know, and and my family actually goes back to the first great awakening. My great, great, great -great grandfather was a separatist Baptist or a New Light Baptist Mm -hmm. that came underneath the ministry of Schubel Stearns into South Carolina. So that actually gave me even more of a prompting. And what I didn't realize, and either in one of your uh, videos or in one of the books, because I got a couple of your books now I've been going through, uh, you talked about this, but I didn't fully realize this, that how many people that were in the church in the Great Awakening weren't saved. They were just part of the church because it's what you did back then. And when you look at that Great Awakening and you look at when he preached at Enfield, and just the people, the you know, of course, the power of God, but opening the eyes of the people. But then you see the impact of it uh, through. And I look at it personally through my great great grandfather and other people that, you know, went to the wilderness and uh, started, you know, going to the Indians and going to the places nobody would go. And you look at that and you you, know, you just marvel at you know, what came out of that that great awakening. And, and really our need for it again today, you know? You know, I, one of
1: the stories that I have in the book, Miracles in American History, uh, I think over my shoulder on my bookshelf, I have the cover of it there, um, but it's the missionary prayer revival. So you have early 1800s, Williams College, Massachusetts. Some students are walking back to class, and there's a downpour of rain and they dive under a haystack. They're walking across a field. And while they're under that haystack, they begin to pray. They begin to pray for world missions. Then they commit their lives Hmm. to world missions. The rain stops. They go back to class and they tell their, their classmates that they just committed their lives to world missions. Well, the other students start committing their lives to world missions and they started this missionary sending organization, and they began to send missionaries to Burma, right? Adoniram Judson and his wife, Nancy, and send missionaries to the Uh Caribbean, and send missionaries to Hawaii, and Hiram Bingham, and the second boatload of missionaries to Hawaii had a black woman, Betsy Stockton, the first single female missionary sent out from America, a black woman, Betsy Stockton, and They go all around the world. They go to China and literally change the world. Could you imagine all the woke energy that young people have that instead of tearing things down and smashing windows that they used it to spread the gospel? to start schools, to risk the pirates, to risk the diseases and storms and other countries, learn other languages, the energy it took to do that, to risk all the the hardships so that they could spread the gospel and start these schools and hospitals and mission organizations. Imagine all that woke energy harnessed for good. That's what happened during that early 1800s. that was called the Second Great Awakening Revival, but this this missionary movement.
0: Mm. That's so powerful, and and you see where things can come out of something like, I don't know if you're familiar with, I I bet you are familiar with, because so many of your stories tie into all this historical facts, but the the Moravian prayer movement, and you think about Count Zinzendorf, and you think about this small group of people, I mean, you know, they say uh, Count Zinzendorf was the rich young ruler that said yes, and you look at that movement and you understand the power of the missionary movement that came out of it. You know, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing to think. What do you think, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you've been doing this for a while. What do you see as so significant, you know, in impacting the world today in sharing history? What do you, what, you know, why is that? I know, it, I know it's true, but why do you see that as true?
1: Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And um, when you hear other people facing great odds and hardships, but trusting in the Lord and then God doing great things, it's almost like we ask ourselves, what are the stories we like the best? You know, in the Bible, what are the ones we like? Well, it's the ones where God's people are in hopeless situations and he raises up little nobodies who are small in their own eyes, but big in faith and courage. Right. So you got the an 80 year old Moses standing up to the most powerful military ruler, the the Pharaoh. You have a, a teenager, David, standing up to this giant Goliath. You got Gideon. Right. He gets 100,000 Midianites attacking Israel. And he responds with gathering 30,000 Israelites. And God said, too many. Tell everyone that's scared mm-hmm. to go home. Now he's got 10,000 Israelites, still too many. Go drink from a creek, whittles it down to 300. And then God rolls up his sleeves and says, now watch this. In other words, God wanted to make the odds look even worse. So when we see things, times that look hopeless, from God's point of view, he's like, okay, this is when I'm looking to raise up little nobodies. We're small in their own eyes. And that's where we're at today. We've had national leaders let us down. And those that we trusted to hold back the floodgates of hell, they've, they've let us down. And now the umbrella is ripped and it's raining down upon every one of us. And so it's up to every person to push back and every, every female athlete to push back and every student and every mom and every pastor and every local, you know, sheriff and city con, it's, it's now down to each one of us. And, you know, you look through history, every generation has had a crisis. Mm. Attila the Hun had an army of a half million men wiping out cities across Europe. Genghis Khan killed 30 million people across Central Asia. You got bubonic plague, Spanish flu, World War I. Every generation has, has had a crisis. And, and if we get through this crisis, there'll be another one. We get through that crisis, there'll be another one. Jesus says the wheat and tares grow together till the harvest you're always going to have Cain's trying to kill Abel's, right? And those that trust in their works and they get prideful and then they get filled full of hatred and anger and those trusted in the lamb. And so um, I thought, well, certainly God knew that there would be crises for every generation. And, and the crisis is almost us being pushed to having to make a decision. We're either going to run and hide or we're going to stand up and let God use us. I use the illustration like a freshman chemistry class, and you have a uh, teacher who has a beaker with a solution who pours in a catalyst, and the catalyst causes a reaction. Some stuff precipitates, gets heavy, and floats to the bottom, and other stuff gets effervescent and bubbly and floats to the top. So, the time period we're living in is the solution in the beaker. The catalyst poured in is the crisis, and some people precipitate. They drop out. They get scared. They run away. They even deny their faith, and other people get effervescent and bubbly, and they're like, God, use me. Use me in this crisis. Like the early church, they prayed for boldness. They prayed for more effervescence, right? Use me to love the unlovable, to defend the defenseless, to stand up for righteousness, to you know a good man leaves an inheritance to, to his children's children you want to care about you want to you want to do something and so this is just our chance to step forward you know you look i wrote a book called miraculous milestones science medicine and innovation christians invented hospitals You read through the plague of Justinian in 541 AD and 15 million people die in Constantinople and there's St. Samson, the hospitable. And he like takes the sick into his house. and, And so historically it was the Christians that ran when there was a health problem and they would take care and doctor and everything. Yeah, every now and then one would die. But the idea is, hey, my life belongs to God anyway. And he'll use me as long as he wants me. And he'll call me home when it's time for me to go home. There wasn't this fear like, oh, stay away from me. Uh, unclean, unclean uh, lepers. wait. No, it's like God used me to help people. And um, so when we read these stories, it gives us faith.
0: Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Well, I'd love for you to share a story before we close up. And again, I wish we had more time. I mean, you and I, uh, w- I think we could talk on this all day long and I'd enjoy every bit of it. Um, uh, but what uh, of the stories you've told about Famous people, and I've heard of I've heard several, and they've all been inspiring. What story kind of showcases that life and the impact that's lived on after their lifetime has ended? Well,
1: um, you had mentioned uh Ludwig von Zinzendorf, and I'm not sure if you're uh, view those viewing are familiar with the story, but that's one of the stories I highlight in our book, Miracles in American History. Um, and if you like, I can sort of share it in a Please. nutshell. Um, so you had Europe, it was all Catholic, and then the Muslims were invading, and they had conquered North Africa, which all used to be Christian, they conquered Holy Land, which all used to be Christian, they conquered Turkey, which all used to be Christian, then they conquered Constantinople, cutting off the land routes to India, and now um, the Europeans look for a sea route, that's when Columbus set sail, but then they surround Vienna, Austria in 1529, and the Holy Roman Emperors, the Catholic king of Spain, Charles V, and he tries to stop both. He tries to stop this reformation that started in 1517, and he tries to stop the Islamic invasion. Finally realizes that he needs the Protestants' help. So he does the Peace of Augsburg of 1555, which lets every king decide what's going to be believed in his kingdom. And let's just work together against this Islamic invasion. And so in the next century, different kings believe different things. And Northern Germany and Sweden became Lutheran, Switzerland, Calvinist, Scotland, Presbyterian, Holland, Dutch, Reformed. Um, you had uh, Greece was Greek Orthodox, Russia was Russian Orthodox, and so forth. And then Italy, Spain, France stayed Catholic. But if you didn't believe the way your king did, it was considered treason and you fled. And so we have this mass migration of people shifting around Europe, some, some spilling over and founding colonies in America. But we look at um, Austria and um one of the uh uh royalty had to flee and that was the Zinzendorf uh family and the uh the father dies hmm. and the young count Ludwig excuse me count Ludwig von Zinzendorf is raised by his pietist German grandmother now pietism what's that um It's this concept that uh, Martin Luther had a personal revelation that just shall live by faith, very personal to him. But some German princes said, Hey, this is my chance to break away from Rome. Kingdom of mine, you're all now Lutheran. And the people in the kingdom say, Okay, okay, we're Lutheran. What do we believe? So for the people in the kingdoms, it was not necessarily the same personal revelation that Martin Luther had. It was just a new state doctrine. So this revival movement starts called Pietism that says, Look, being a Christian is more than just going along with the state doctor, you have to have an experience with Jesus, hmm. and when you do, your life will change, and you'll no longer do the worldly things you used to do, like go to bars and, and brothels and lewd theater and so forth. Anyway, so the pietists emphasized a personal relationship with God, and so Ludwig von Zendendorf is raised by his pietist German grandmother, and he's 19 years old now. Uh, he's born in the year 1700, so it's easy to date his life, um, and so he's 19 years old, and he is going on his grand tour to meet all the who's who in all these courts around Europe where the, you know, you got the Kings, but you got all the who's who in the courts and he's in Dusseldorf, Germany. And he, in his off time goes to a museum and he sees a painting and it's a painting of Christ with the crown of thorns, looking at the person that's viewing the painting. Oh, wow. And under underneath it says this, I have done for you. What are you doing for me? And this makes an impression on this young count. And he goes back to his estate in Moravia, which is Germany on the border of the Czech Republic. And he decides he's going to open up his estate for these persecuted peoples that are being chased out of one country and another in Europe. And they can come on his property and not be persecuted. And they do. They come. It's a wonderful experiment until they start bickering with each other. I mean, these are people that believe their beliefs so strongly, they're fleeing rather than getting up their beliefs, and they're not going to give it up to each other. Anyway, this whole experiment's about to collapse before it starts. So he leaves the palace, and he goes out, and he lives among them. They build their little buildings. They have their little farms. And then he decides to have a communion service. And before communion, they have to forgive each other. They have the communion. They pray. They pray all night all day, all night. Then they start taking turns with the kids and the cooking and everything, and they pray all week. And then they're taking turns with the farm, and they, they pray all month, they pray all year. That prayer meeting went on uninterrupted for over 100 years. And this little group of Moravian missionaries, they send them out all around the world. The first ones were two guys, they heard a message about the slaves on the island of St. Thomas, which was owned by Denmark and how the slaves were treated terrible and didn't know the gospel. And so these two young Moravians go to Denmark and they meet with the government officials and they say, we wanna be a missionary. They're like, how are you gonna support yourselves? And they said, we're willing to sell ourselves into slavery in order to share the gospel with the slaves. They are the first Moravian missionaries. But this inspires other ones, and they go to Greenland, they go to Labrador, they go to Egypt, they go to um, Latin and South America. they they go to the, the mosquito coast of of you know Central America. They go all around the world. and they basically pioneer what later got called the Protestant work ethic. So they're not supported by any missionary organization. They're not supported by a church. They're getting zero support they're just going around the world and they're finding a way to make a living so that they can share the gospel hmm. they're very frugal they're hard-working they love Jesus and anyway so you have some of them going to Georgia you had James Oglethorpe left England fought the Muslims in Serbia and in the law and and under Eugene of Savoy who was this famous commander in Austria and, Austro-Hungarian Empire and afterwards James Oglethorpe goes back to England joins parliament has a friend die in debtors prison because they didn't feed you in the British prison and so he decided to present the idea of a colony where poor debtors and people persecuted for their religious faith could come and have a fresh start and so he called it Georgia and the uh person chosen to be his personal secretary was Charles Wesley. And then John Wesley had just finished Oxford, and he's a young minister, and he is going to go over and be be the first Anglican minister for the colony of Georgia. They're on a boat. They're headed down toward Georgia, and they're in a storm. And the storm is terrible. These enormous waves. I mean, like, I don't know how tall, but I mean, they're like so tall. And they're smashing on the boat. John Wesley said that he was convinced that the boat was shoved to the bottom of the ocean. And so he's panicking and running through the boat. And he goes into the area where the Moravians are. And they're just singing praise songs. Like, oh, Jesus, we love you. And then he's just struck by this. And afterwards, he talks to me. He says, weren't you scared? They go, no, we belong to the Lord. If he, he has us here. He has us there, wherever he wants us. And, and he realizes that they know Jesus better than he knows Jesus. Well, they get to the colony. His idea of sharing the gospel is nothing but legalism. And it doesn't work. He, he's going to preach to the Indians, right? I mean, are you going to preach legalism to a bunch of Indians? Anyway, long and short, he fails. And after that, he and Charles decide to go back to England. They get off the boat they're depressed. They meet another Moravian missionary waiting to get on a boat to go to Georgia. He invites them to a prayer meeting in Aldersgate there in London. And uh, John Wesley writes, he says, I, I, went, I went very unwillingly. and uh, But then I heard him explain the um, a prep, Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And and as they were praying or, or pr- sharing, he says, I, I suddenly felt that my sins were forgiven even mine that the savior had died for me Hmm. and then he uh said that his he felt his heart strangely warmed and they they prayed all night and the moravians pray all night and then uh he was touched by god and he goes over and lives with the moravians for eight months And he calls it the religion of the heart. So instead of you believe something because the king tells you to, and you'll be burnt to the stake if you don't believe it over there, he saw these people that didn't always agree, but they loved each other. They worked together. And he comes back to England and he starts a revival movement inside of the Anglican church called Methodism. Hmm. And then he gets his friend, George Whitfield to be involved. And he catches fire and George Whitfield comes and preaches seven times up and down the colonies. And he's what you call the, a new light. The yeah. old stodgy religious people won't let him preach in the church, so he's preaching outdoors. He gathers crowds of 25,000 people preaching without a microphone, and uh, Ben Franklin prints all of his sermons, distributes them up and down the colony, spreading the Great Awakening, and this uh, starts a lot of universities, and then um, uh, they have this different revivals that spread, and uh, the, the Negro he's the first one to have mixed crowds, and so he had blacks and whites together in the same crowd that was a big deal back then and um then he uh, uh is credited for helping to unite the colonies prior to the to the revolutionary war instead of they they each colony held their denomination so strong that they'd tar and feather each other and chase each other out of each other's colonies and but now they began to see themselves as one hmm. and anyway fascinating story it's in the book miracles in american history and uh and americanminute.com is my website
0: Wow, that's awesome, and you think about the impact of that, you know, from one man's decision with Zinzendorf, and you look at the trail, and the lives impacted, and how it came all the way down, and he was 19 was years old, it's, it's a map, you know, it's a map, and uh, I just, you know, again, uh, I've, I've got to, to find some time to take you to dinner, or whatever, and because I would love to to really hear more of this, and I just want to encourage all my listeners, if you have, uh, you know, you just heard just a little piece of the material that Bill uh, shares, not only in American Minute, but also in his writing and also on his television show. We're going to put the links up uh, at the end so you can go there that you can actually uh, see his site, but also, uh, you know, check it out on YouTube. There's just so much there. Uh, Bill, I can't thank you enough for being here and just taking as much time as you did today to share some of these stories. And, you know, I want to encourage you, let you know that I'll be praying for you and just believing that God will continue to use you to connect people to a, a, you know, to our history and helping to understand not just the American history, but church history. I think it's, it's really, really important. So thank you for being on here today. Well,
1: thank you, Don. And I'm available anytime. Beyond. I consider it a great honor.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to Living a Life Worth Remembering today. And I just want to encourage you to share this show with other people. And also, you can go uh, to Living a Life Worth Remembering on Apple for the uh, podcast, or you can like my channel, Coach Don Newman, on YouTube. Make sure that you like it. Make sure you uh, select. Uh, that you'll be notified whenever a broadcast is released, and we will continue to showcase things that help you understand how all of us can live a life worth remembering. Thank you for being here today. Have a blessed day.